Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. All right, welcome to the notes. Uh, we are going to be talking about um, a very chaotic week in local theater and Connecticut theater. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Daniel Day-Lewis a lot. We're going to be talking specifically about his movie, The Phantom Thread, about the idea that it's his last movie that he's ever going to make. Uh, there's uh, obviously the Oscar nominations came out. We'll quickly sort of breeze through at least a few random thoughts uh, about those. I know it's a lot, and, and I find myself wondering before I even introduce the panel, I asked one of the panelists, Irene Papoulos, have I done all I can? Have I done all I can? You've done everything you can do. Save yourself. If the worst happens, you stay alive. They don't kill you. They'll take you north of the Huron land. You submit, you hear? You strong. You survive. You stay alive, no matter what occurs. I will find you, no matter how long it takes, no matter how far. I will find you. I say that to all my nose panelists every week. I will find you. No matter what, I will find you. If you are a woman born between uh, the years 1945 and 1965, you, uh, that clip needs no explanation. You know it by heart. Chances are. Anyway, uh, joining us as the aforementioned Irene Papoulis, who teaches writing at Trinity College. Rich Holland is a principal and design director at CoLab and a commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. James Hanley is the co-founder of Cine Studio at Trinity College, where you can see lots of great movies like that one. Um, so uh, we're going to um, come to a whole bunch of movie stuff. But right here at the beginning, it's sort of not it's not unrelated to movies, uh, although it actually is taking place in the world of theater. So The Good Speed, uh, The Good Speed, which is, of course, uh, an East Haddam-based, beautiful, old uh, turn of the last century uh, opera house, uh, which has been refashioned into a tremendous crucible uh, for the production of both vintage musicals and the occasional launch of a new one. For example, Annie was begotten for the first time in, in the, uh, at The Good Speed, and, and that version of the show is the one that went to Broadway. So they do that kind of thing too. They're very prestigious. Um, and so they have a three-show season. Recently, they announced their three-show three season. The third show was Bullets Over Broadway, which of course has a script by Douglas McGrath and Woody Allen. It's based on a Woody Allen uh, movie. And yesterday at 5 p.m., they announced that they would – and this is really unusual. I mean the season is typically pretty, pretty much set in stone. Uh, they're, they're already selling season tickets for the 2018 year. Um, the website is all festooned with uh, evidence of these three plays. At, at 5 p.m. yesterday, they announced that they would not be doing Bullets Over Broadway, that they felt that uh, given the current climate, given revelations about Woody Allen, although there really aren't any new revelations about Woody Allen, but given all of those problems, that it made sense to them to withdraw that. They're replacing it with the Drowsy Chaperone which I can say is a wonderful musical. I saw it on Broadway. It was terrific. Um, but it, it's an odd thing. And it is, was such a precipitous decision 
that as of this morning, I haven't checked in a few hours, as of this morning, the Goodspeed still had bullets over Broadway featured heavily uh, on their website. They had not corrected this impression. Uh, it's part of the, um, the rotating banner at the top of the page, and you can click on things and get find out more about what a great show Bullets Over Broadway is going to be. So uh, this is a decision made in a hurry, announced in a hurry. Um, and so, James, I am going to start with you because just by coincidence, you've got a Woody Allen movie, <laughs> Wonder right. Wheel, the, the newest of all Woody Allen movies, uh, up and running at Trinity Cine Studio. Um, and, and you probably had to think a little bit about this yourself. Um, so first of all, um, let's look at the good speed. Um, what does this say to you? Well, I I think that what is happening at the moment is a is a long overdue reckoning. Number one, mm. and I think there's also a huge tide sort of pulling back and forth in different directions, where people don't really know how to react to it in in the arts community, for example. Um, and I think there are many things that have been coming out about Hollywood and about how people are paid. I mean, outrages like enormous disparities between men and women in uh, in payment for their work, uh, sexual harassment, actual sexual assault. All of these things um, are uh, part of a, a huge conversation that is way overdue, and this is actually happening now. And I think that arts institutions... Um, I think you have to pay attention to it in a different way. You have to think, number one, you have to think of where this is coming from and what does it mean to show something or to put on a play by somebody uh, or, or even hang pictures, I mean, of, a, of an artist or, or, I mean, it goes across the board. Did and you, did you, you have qu to question yourself at Cine Studio yes, yourselves uh, all yeah. the time, uh, yeah. and and we have discussions. I mean, way way back, I can remember we had a discussion with. 40 students, believe it or not, at a big sort of – we had a thing called a booking brunch where we were discussing whether we should show the uh, Dudley Moore film, 10, which a number of the women were saying was a really sexist film. But the it, it was incredible how much resistance there was to the idea of, you know, oh, don't take it so seriously, you know, don't – uh, we we really uh, you know it's just a comedy and we should show it anyway. But after a couple of big long meetings, we actually decided not to show it. And I think that that was a very important discussion to have at the time. And uh, those are things that uh, pop up all the time in terms of what films you show. Mm -hmm. In this particular case with with Wonder Wheel, you know, we made the decision to show that some time back. But the issue with Woody Allen wasn't entirely clear perhaps at that time, but I think that now we might make a dis different decision because I think that the crucial thing right now is to keep the issue boiling to the extent that it actually causes change to happen. Although um, one, way, one way, Rich, to keep the issue boiling is to show Wonder Wheel uh, or maybe show Bullets Over Broadway, although there's a lot of economic reasons probably down at the good speed. I mean, that's a huge commitment for them and a huge problem maybe with their subscriber base. But one way to keep the issue boiling is to present some of this work and, and let audiences talk it out in one way or another. I don't know. Does that work for you or – No, it doesn't. Okay. Um, it doesn't because I don't think that showing – I don't think that embedded in the work is the thing that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, it's about the the context. It's about whether we are putting money in Woody Allen's pocket right now, you know, and are we boycotting Woody Allen? That's a that's a different conversation. I think that um, that uh, a converse. 
I think that viewing anything or reading about uh, Humbert Humbert is important. You know, I think that there's a lot to unpack uh, uh, around that character, and there's a, a lot to unpack around that book. Um, uh, you know, as for me, I mean, I'm not. I try really hard. Uh, I fail often, but try really hard to uh, to not judge the decisions that folks make. You know, I'm not asking you to to join my boycott, but. Uh, I will speak actively about where I stand, and it's that I have not seen a Woody Allen movie since you know since I was uh, in college, and I haven't done that um, intentionally. Uh, I won't see uh, anything that was uh, that's being made by, say, Roman Polanski. You know, so um, so I I, uh, so that, I actively draw my draw my line. That's I think that's interesting because that that goes beyond putting money in his pocket, assuming yeah. that would you, you wouldn't even see a movie even if, you know, it didn't involve you actually giving money to the artist. But it, but it would. Um, oh, because if, you would buy your ticket. You exactly. Mean, or somebody would buy and your ticket. And if you're watching it on Netflix, there's, you know, the, the money trail follows. You know, so, um, so my, my attitude is, uh, is to um, not pay people that I don't support. Um, this is a, um, uh, a sidebar. Is it Dudley Moore's character kind of the butt of the joke in Ten. Have I forgotten how that movie goes? Yes, yeah. actually. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, what what was going on there actually in the terms of making a decision like that is that what often happens with movies is that the publicists are separate from the team who make the film. Mm. And so very often a film is sold in a certain way with a certain image. Mm. And I think actually one of the reactive things for people looking at the publicity campaign for Ten was the way it depicted women in the poster and mm -hmm. in, the, right. in the publicity around it. it was demeaning and obnoxious. And actually, the film is, wasn't quite like that. No, there's sort of a, almost a revelation, I think, at the mm -hmm. end. Yeah, that's right. That, but Dudley Moore's got it wrong. Right, exactly. And so it's, an, it's a perfect example of how these, things, uh, how, how these things actually are very complex in terms of like, what do you do about a satire in that case? Uh, if, if something is deliberately a satire that is actually a satire that is saying the right things about this, but it's coming from somebody who's behaving badly. Um, you know that that the, there are examples of that. I yeah. mean, um, plenty of examples, in fact. And I think that it, it it's it, it's something that now I'm sure that there's a lot of people in Hollywood who are actually thinking about how can you get round this by doing that, so that you can still employ these people who make them money. I, and I'd raise the, some of the challenges around Birth of a Nation uh, oh, with that yeah. as, as a prime example of a, of a movie that actually um, has some powerful contributions uh, yeah. to one aspect of, of our social mores You're right now. You're talking about the new Birth of a Nation. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, you know, and yet the, there are some challenges to, to the director. And, right. um, and, uh, and so in that regards... Although it's worth uh, noting, a lot of people work on a movie. Nate yeah. Parker's not the only person who worked on yeah, that true. movie. Well, and, and they all de deserve to get paid. And, mm -hmm. and to, But I just want to go to... Because I haven't heard much from Irene for just a second. I want to... So, I mean, we struggle with this all the time. Not just as a matter of do we want to give Woody Allen our money. I, to me, that I don't care. You know, Harvey Weinstein's gotten a lot of my money. He's probably going to get some more of it by the time it's over. There's, I just... I 
I can't sit around like specking out every dollar that I spent. But even within the world of the humanities, we struggle all the time with this question. I mean, Ezra Pound is like a completely horrible person. Mm-hmm. However, I have not given up on his poetry. You know, I mean, I, and I, I mean, now when I read these poems, I think, well, a horrible person wrote this poem. However, there are some great things in this poem. So, and you know, Bullets Over Broadway may not be an evil play. I mean. Seen the play, I vaguely remember the movie. You know, it's taking the dollars out of it. There's an interesting question here about whether works become evil simply because they're the works of people who may, and let's be fair to Woody Allen, who may have committed acts of evil. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's true that every every English major knows about Pound, and so that's all. I, I think for most people in college, that's our introduction to, you know, to this issue, uh, and um, and I think it it's. You know, so what I would like to do is look at the look at the art and see if there are roots, you know, of the person. You know, can you really separate it? Can Woody Allen? I mean, I think I remember absolutely loving Bullets Over Broadway and thinking it was hilarious. You know, even though I don't remember it that well now, but as well as a lot of uh, Woody Allen movies. And so, I it'd be but though I remember Crimes and Misdemeanors and how that really there was some kind of corrupt inner core to that movie and to the movies ever since that that disturbed me at the time and so then maybe I would say yeah that's 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 he, his well, expression I he thought, is expression I, I thought Manhattan had a corrupt inner core well, well Manhattan absolutely uh, yeah. absolutely does and it's especially almost creepy now to sort of actually mm-hmm. connect that with what Woody Allen has said himself. And I think one of the issues is how much a person who's, I I mean, I appreciate how it's a group effort making a film, but the actual driving force, the director or maybe a star in the film, if that person is coming from a, a place where, you know, their personal behavior is becoming embedded in the film as a kind of like creepy justification in a way, there's something else going on there that's, that, that, that needs to be teased out. And I think going back to Birth of a Nation, for example, that I think that given what happened there, a revelation about behavior in the past, mm. what that depended on then was how do you react to that? Do you recognize that you you did something wrong and you actually acknowledge that and you actually try and save the big ideas that you're trying to make or do you go down in flames with your own personal ego actually taking away the chance to have the discussion you might have had? Right. And I remember that nose and I think you were on it and we talked about Nate Parker and yes. he did the latter, right? He didn't right. you know, he he didn't engage with the question. So, you know, there is I don't know. So, I mean, another thing that happened this week, obviously, is that Gordon Edelstein, the storied artistic director of The Long Wharf, had his own set of allegations against him, a lot of them appalling. Oddly enough, and it's just a weird little coincidence, two Saturdays ago, I was sitting on stage at the Goodspeed with one of the women who turns out now to be one of the accusers of Gordon Edelstein. So I feel like I've kind of got the good speed, long wharf, overlapping experience about two weeks ago without knowing any of this stuff was coming. But, you know, we, in some ways, in the past, we've cut the arts a certain amount of slack we might not cut in other places, right? Picasso is probably a pretty horrible guy, you know? So, uh, and it seems as though one of the things we're doing now, whether we're talking about Gordon Edelstein at the long wharf or you know, I mean, if Woody Allen really is a child molester, that's always been horrible. Nobody really should ever cut anybody any slack for it. Although, as you were sort of alluding to, Rich, we did do it with Roman Polanski. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in some ways there's this sort of sense 
the arts are this wild place and they don't follow the rules and and somehow or other we can't – we don't always anyway hold them to the same standards. But you're making a case that we should, right? Yeah, I am. And, and I'm not so certain that it's just the arts that get cut – that get cut, get cut slack, right? Um, I think if we – to me, if I look at it a little bit further, I see um, that uh, power – and uh, in a certain degree of, of acclaim uh, gets cut slack. And, and I equate uh, acclaim to power. Um, and uh, you could kind of buy your way and muscle your way into getting away with things because you have some inherent value to a tremendous amount of people. Um, and uh, I am so happy uh, to see that collapsing um, and can't collapse fast enough or thoroughly enough for me. Wow. I, I I like your certainty about that. I think that's real. I, I, you know, because I I always have this thing like I don't want to be the morality police, you know, and where's the line and all that. But your I think you your your position also also make really makes sense. Uh, One thing that we should say, and maybe we should um, then kind of transition out of this. I mean. I I guess a lot of people regard this the Woody Allen thing as kind of a settled question. Um, I mean, I will just just acknowledge anyway that two intensive investigations by two different agencies, one of them uh, Yale uh, Medical School or Medical Center, their sort of child center, did a you know intense real time investigation of the Dylan Farrow allegations, didn't find child abuse, and then New York's kind of child welfare agency also did its own investigation, didn't find it. The guy who was scheduled to prosecute it thought that he could prosecute it here in Connecticut but didn't want to subject the young girl Dylan Farrow to that process. So it's one of these things where like I do thought – I saw – I watched Dylan Farrow talk to Gail King uh, a week ago yesterday and that's certainly the thing that has precipitated this latest round right. and I thought she was very convincing and poignant and you know. But it's one of these things where it's like ultimately there's probably always going to be a little bit of doubt here that we know exactly. You say, well, why would somebody make up a story like that yeah. though? Well, I mean, I th- I, going back to Rich's point, I mean this really does equate to power mm-hmm. certainly and that um, – you know, in 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 a future universe, let's say where this in, in upheaval creates a fairer world and more respect and a different attitude in just in one one sector of society, in the film industry, for example, you could then look back and you could say, well, you know, this was a th- this was a learning moment for a lot of people, and it caused change, and then you can look at the career of the person and you can look at the art they created and you can view it differently at that point. You can say that look where this came from, look where it led to and look where we are now and so new people coming in the film industry perhaps will perceive power differently and that they'll be held to a higher standard and then that would be a good thing. That's what I mean about keeping it boiling Mm -hmm. because in historically, there's always been a moment that comes where there's a backlash where somebody says, oh, this is just crazy. You know, all men are not behaving like this. But the fact is that there's an atmosphere created that disadvantages one huge sector of society to say nothing of racism and, and prejudice of all kinds. And it's facilitated by an assumption that it's there and powerful and it's not going to change. If it can change, if this can be kept boiling so that it actually changes, then you can look at Ezra Pound, you can look at Woody mm-hmm. Allen, you can look at uh, even Harvey Weinstein's career and Miramax and you can say, well, look at Room with a View and financing that and look at what this man also did and you can make some sort of reasonable assessment of what is right and what is wrong absent the continuing power of somebody like that to 
to uh, subvert and destroy people. I just want to quickly answer your uh, question before. I, I'm not a Woody Allen supporter, but Woody Allen supporters would answer your question. Why would somebody make an in, uh, of a story like this that this particular set of allegations surfaced immediately after Mia Farrow had discovered Woody Allen's affair uh, with her adopted daughter, Soon Yi. She was a scorned woman at that point and a very betrayed woman at a lot of different levels. So the people who support Woody Allen say that maybe she coached or prompted or something this whole set of perceptions. I, it's not what I say. I'm just... It's just a, like, that's, 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 that's a hideous yeah. accusation, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it is. It's a hideous accusation. It would uh, be a hideous thing to do. And it would also. be a hideous thing to do. Woody Allen, well, never mind. Woody yeah. Allen has this whole thing that he says that I won't, won't even bother to go into. Actually, what we should do is take a break right now anyway, so we'll have plenty of time to talk about The Phantom Thread uh, and to talk about Daniel Day-Lewis and about the Oscar nominations. And once you get him, I'll tell him not to go. Right. We're switching gears here. We went to the movies this week. Uh, we all saw The Phantom Thread, one of the best picture nominees for this year's Academy Awards. Daniel Day-Lewis says it's the last movie he's ever going to make. Uh, it is about uh, a man, uh, I think it's set circa 1952, if not specifically there, uh, in the world uh, of, uh, of British high fashion. Um, it is about a man named Reynolds Woodcock. Uh, he is a maker of bespoke dresses for very, very wealthy uh, patrons. Uh, and he meets uh, in a in the basically in the breakfast uh, restaurant of a hotel where he's staying, uh, a waitress named Alma. And let's hear them talk to one another. You're a very handsome man. You must be around many beautiful women. Why are you not married? I make dresses. <laughs> you cannot be married when you make dresses. I'm certain I was never meant to marry. I'm a confirmed bachelor. I'm incurable. Hmm. <sighs> So um, this sort of um, is a bridge. This, that's their first date. They're on a first date. Uh, and um, their first date, which is unlike most first dates, it will involve his sister and a dress fitting and a lot of other things that don't typically happen on first dates. But, you know, Irene, in a way, this bridges from what we were talking about before. This, there's a notion here in the Phantom Thread that this man, who I think is presented to us as some kind of very, very special uh, dressmaking artist, uh, is so firmly rooted uh, in a very egocentric relationship between himself and his art that there really isn't room for a normal relationship unless you count the relationship he has with his sister as a normal relationship. Um, which you don't. Which you don't. And so then the movie is a little bit about that, right? Whether or not this young woman, Alma, can in any recognizable way be with him and have him a as a partner or whether she is destined to be crowded to the sidelines by his art. I don't know. Take it from there. Um, yes. And it's also about um, her, you know, what she does with that, mm -hmm. with that, from that starting point that I think is really interesting and unpredictable. 
you know. I mean, maybe what I should be asking all of you is just like thumbnail impression was how did you like this movie? I absolutely loved it. I felt like it was it was such an interesting um, exploration of emotions, uh, which is what I feel about almost all his films. And uh, I just absolutely loved it. All right. Rich. So I fully expected to not like it uh, because you know, I was in the here we are again with uh, with another bunch of sort of post-colonial uh, folks getting worried about very, very little things. Mm-hmm. Um, and A lot of first world problems in this Yeah, movie. exactly. Yeah. And um, boy, it grew on me and it grew on me because of the Alma character mm-hmm. and, and about uh, how determined she was to not be end up on the losing end of of these power dynamics that were going on in the movie. Right. And James, how about you? Well, I can say I would put it in the category of interesting. Um, I I find his films uh, always intriguing and always uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's work is just draws me in. But I felt about Phantom Thread that it reached a point where it was almost like a sort of exploring the workings of a clock. And and all of these sort of technical devices and also these characters who are almost – they seem almost internalized to the point where it's actually hard to experience emotion. I've, I'm fascinated, uh, Irene, that you found it an emotional experience because I, I didn't find it that. I found it to be kind of cold in the sense that um, it was exploring um, – people whose egos were so strong or maybe even autistic in a way, sort of internalized to such an extent that it was very hard to perceive how they connected and why they connected. And um, there were sort of uh, strange things in it that were, um, I I don't know, the kind of features to me of of Paul Thomas Anderson films is sort of throwing something in that is sort of makes you think, wait a minute, where is this going? But then it doesn't go there. One particular was that one you were talking about saying when uh, that line, he says, I'm in the clip you played, uh, I'm a confirmed bachelor. Well, confirmed bachelor in English terms is code for being gay. Mm -hmm. And um, there's almost an implication of that at that moment in the film. And it almost goes with it, but then it doesn't. And then you wonder the motivation of Alma, and it's it, it, you can look at the performances. I mean, I think Daniel Day Lewis is great in it. It's amazing performance to watch, and and Vicky Creeps as as Alma is really amazing. I mean, all of the characters, and actually the subtext of this is even more fascinating, which is all of these subordinate women who are doing all the sewing, mm-hmm. these middle aged women who are working like crazy, like late hours, you know, to fix a dress. And they're, they're, they're the experts there. They're the people who know how to do this. And it's so fascinating to think of that in the context of what we're dealing with now, where women are not being paid as much as men to do stuff. And the implications behind this film uh, so sort of dovetail right into that, I think. So the, we, have, we have to say this movie... About 90% of the way through the movie, this movie takes a pretty sharp turn, which we can't really talk about um, <laughs> at all, um, other than to say that I just – I would agree with James that I, I, I have a more simplistic way of thinking about it. But I do think Paul Thomas Anderson often does that. He does something near the end of the movie that he hasn't really exactly planted the seeds or laid the groundwork for. Uh, and then you make whatever you want to make out of the fact that he did that. I, th- I think there's a little bit of a, uh, a modus operandi for him. But, you know, I mean, uh, Rich, you know, 
I understand what James is saying about what Irene is saying. Although the way <laughs> I process that is, it was kind of to me emotionally, it's kind of like watching a long scoreless tie that's like a pitcher's duel or something. It's kind of like I feel like the emotions are there, and I actually was riveted by this whole movie. I guess I haven't declared that. I you know, like I didn't want to get up and go to the bathroom. I don't do anything. I just want to stay. But I feel like I'm waiting for something, waiting for that emotion that neither side is really quite willing to give me, but I know is there. So in a way, welcome to my life. Um, <laughs> so you're not even Irish. Yeah. Um, to me, this was the. I think that there's a tendency to explore um, uh, obsession in in a in a deep, uh, um, uh, powerful commitment to your work as this uh, in wildly maniacal. You know, you're staying up all night and you're out of control doing this thing. But um, it's not like that at all for me, anyway. And for folks that I know who are like that, it's methodical. And and I think you nailed it, James. It's like it's like a clock. And it's a constancy of trying to get all these pieces to line up and to sit together. And if you are over-emotional about that, you're going to knock things out of whack. And, um, and so to, to see this, to me, to see this character needing to have that much control over his environment, to have control over the sound, to have control over absolutely everything that could possibly be distracting him uh, from the absolute uh, focus that he's bringing to his work – is a thing that I could completely relate to in, in so many ways, and um, and so so that piece I could connect with, right? Uh, yeah. uh, the, but as as the arc of a story, um, you know, and what else is embedded in there that actually draws you forward? What are the tensions that are here? Um, it it was challenging to me until I started looking at it like this: that um, all of these historical pieces are pieces about some form of transition. It's not about where we are in time, but it's about where we're headed because we know where we're headed, right? We know what's coming after the work that he's doing in the in the early and mid-50s. We know what the mid to early 60s is going to bring to fashion. You know, so, uh, so I'm constantly watching everything that he's doing as this frail thing that's about to kind of fall apart right. and he's transition playing out to something else. the last few cards of a hand. Exactly. That, that he's going to be empty. But I have a thing that I want to bring up with you, Irene, but before we do this, let's listen to uh, another clip here. You're going to hear uh, Reynolds Woodcock, this uh, fussy, uh, least soi-disant uh, fashion genius, uh, talking to Alma again. But he's, you'll hear him reference his sister. Sister's played uh, brilliantly, I think, by Leslie Manville, also up for an Oscar. Uh, she's the one who kind of makes things uh, happen in a certain way, in a very businesslike way. But uh, let's hear a little bit more of Reynolds uh, lecturing Alma. Cyril is right. Cyril is always right. It's not because the fabric is adored by the clients that Cyril is right. It's right because it's right. Because it's beautiful. Maybe one day you'll change your taste, Alma. Maybe not. Maybe you have no taste. Maybe I like my own taste. Yes, just enough to get you into trouble. Perhaps I'm looking for trouble. Stop. So 
this is maybe is not the best example of it. But Irene, was there any part of you at a certain point? I, I began to find this movie very funny. I mean, there are moments where it's clearly intentionally funny. Uh, this is a guy who wants an incredible amount of order in his life, as Rich has said. Uh, but by letting this woman in at all, he's got to listen to the way she butters her toast and the way the noises she makes when she she slurps tea, and he just can't stand it. But just just in his constant assertion of things, there's something I don't know. I found this. Uh, I thought a somewhat intentionally comic performance at times. Yeah, I, um, I think, you know, I noticed that in the theater I, where I saw it, the audience was laughing sort of nervously every once in a while, you know, because I think there was there was that that sort of humor. But I think it was so, so I agree that certain things were funny about it and certainly the thing about the toast, which I could completely relate to, like in the morning, I just want, I just, I just don't want anyone to bother me, you know, and they turned the sound up really high on it, you know, like, the way she was buttering her toast he didn't like. But, um, but I think it's so dead serious at the same time because it's about that man. Yeah, and he had everything controlled, but then she came into his life and she disrupted it in a really profound way. And how, why did she pre- disrupt it that way? How did he react to it is really what the movie is about. And I think it's fascinating because, we, he, he, because of what it does to that starting point. Can we segue from there into just a conversation about Daniel Day-Lewis generally and maybe, James, we can start with this movie. I mean, I... I uh, I'll, I'll lay my prejudices on the table. I think he's the great actor of, you know, among all actors, at least English and American and related actors born after 1945. I've just never seen anybody so consistently be amazing. And I think he's really riveting in this, too. I don't know. What's yeah, your... I, I would agree. I think his performance is riveting, um, which makes it all the more odd that he would make this announcement about being his last performance. I mean, there could be some sort of hidden thing that you don't know about yet. There may be something that's driving him to say that. But it seemed like an odd, angular thing to put out there when he gives such an intense performance. And actually, um, you know, when you were just talking about comedy, uh, black comedy, this dark sort of side of like like teasing the audience and maybe this is funny, but maybe it's not. He's, he's an absolute master at that because I think that um, there have been several of his characters who've been in the most intense and serious moments mm-hmm. where you just got a feeling there was something funny lying behind it. And there's there's a moment that I think uh, Leslie Manville is a part of in this film where she basically makes a threat to him very quietly, you know, sitting at the breakfast table saying, babe, you, you cross me and, you know, you're, you're toast. Uh, <laughs> no, no reference to the toast. But um, in that context, he is able to actually at that moment – have the black comedy switch to an almost vulnerability at mm-hmm. that point, which is really, that gets to the core That's of That's the subject that, of the movie, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I, I, that would make me agree that, that you know, that his performance is, is, is extraordinary yeah. and it matches his, his, his performances in other films. And um, I think that, in a way, he's almost taken Paul Thomas Anderson out of his depth because Paul Thomas Anderson, to me, never finishes thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, never takes it to some place that I think that that um, Daniel Day-Lewis could perhaps have done with this character. Uh, because uh, to me, that is the most interesting thing about being an actor, taking a character and actually exploring that character. And then at the end of it, you feel enlightened that, OK, you understand something about him that uh, I think he could have done that. And there were moments in the film where it was like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) I so feel like he did do that. Mm. Yeah. And and I think that he was um, 
he drew this character like it was um, in a perpetual trust fall, you know, and, and he held his ground uh, for fear of letting it go until he could actually trust that this person is going to be strong enough to, to hold him up and then he would let go. Um, it, but I remember seeing the, uh, the trailers to this. I knew Daniel Day-Lewis was in this movie. I try not to research these movies a whole lot before I see them so that I could actually experience them. And I knew he was in this movie, and I looked at the trailer, and I was like, okay, so this is a Jerry, uh, Jeremy Irons movie. I wonder what, yeah, what, I <laughs> what role uh, right. Daniel Day-Lewis well, well, is going to play to that point, yeah. To that point, it's just, um, I mean, one reason that he may be stopping is the transformation that he undergoes from role uh-huh. to role to role. I mean, here he actually apparently learned how to sew dresses and how to you know, do all this <laughs> stuff and like spent a year or so just getting himself physically ready to seem like a man who could do these things. But just just hear a little quick montage. This is all going to be just his voice. Just listen to his voice here. Euclid's first common notion is this. Things which are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. That's a rule of mathematical reasoning. It's true because it works. Has done and always will do. By the ancient laws of combat, we are met at this chosen ground to settle for good and all. Who holds sway over the five points? I promessi sposi. She has accepted me. Drainage! Drainage, Eli, you boy. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up! Of course. Uh, so it's all one uh, person playing, uh, obviously, Lincoln, and then the terrifying, absolutely terrifying man in Gangs of New York, uh, then Room with a View, where he's Cecil, and then, of course, uh, there will be blood. And so, I mean, to me, Irene, this is my fascination. I, I have the same experience that Rich does. Like, uh, there are times, like in, in Gangs of New York, I can't believe that's Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. Me too. And because because the sound is one thing, but the face is another. The way he can the you know, and just his expressions are just are are amazing. Yeah. I, I don't believe for a second that he's not going to act anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it I, seems I, like yeah. to make that kind share. of announcement, yeah. you know, is kind of like you know, uh, you know, and it's it's he's also famous for having be getting really depressed after each movie. Yes, you know, right. so it's like right. this postpartum depression kind of thing. Like I'm never going to do this again. But yeah. then he has to. He just absolutely. Yeah. Has to unless there's unless he's really sick or something. But somebody could make a good movie about trying to persuade Daniel Day Lewis. We'll be played by Russell Brand in the movie. It's kind of like uh, being John Malkovich. Ver- Werner Herzog could do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if acting he, man, right? If he does. Uh, if he does win the best actor uh, at this year's Oscars, he please, will, please let him. Yeah. Win. Can I tell you though? He, he will. He and Catherine Hepburn well, will be the not. only people who've ever done that. Can I tell you, Colin, the, the the two my two favorite uh, Daniel Day Lewis yeah. movies were movies where it felt like he was more being Daniel Day Lewis, and it would be um, Incredible Lightness of Being, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, and uh, Ballad of Benny and, and Rose, which uh, is a pretty obscure one that's a, like you know, oh it's yeah. beautiful i've never it's seen beautiful, that movie oh, really? yeah. you should see it it's Ballad gorgeous of benny and rose yeah. 
Um, very I quickly here, uh, it I is. Google that to make sure I'm giving the right title. We did get the Oscar nominations uh, yesterday. I don't think any of us have seen all nine, unless you have James. Uh, I've seen seven of nine, which is the name of a character. But um, <laughs> so um, oh, I don't know. Yes, uh, just quickly, know. quickly go around the table. We don't have a lot of time anyway. But if you wanted to sort of react or just talk about uh, the the movie that you're in love with right now, or somebody who got snubbed, just whatever your favorite thing is. Yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, as far as the most. I don't know. The most affecting movie to me was Dunkirk, and the most—I uh, don't know—that that film just the, the the nature of the director's involvement with the subject, his technical approach to it, and actually dealing with a movie about defeat in a totally different way. All of those things uh, stood out to me. But that said, I think Shape of Water, um, I, I would be perfectly happy if that was the focus because The Shape of Water is really um, uh, an extraordinary acting and, and just uh, an extraordinary conceit, really, to be able to keep that film going and to take it seriously. And that's a credit to the filmmaker and, the, and to the people in it. What about you, Rich? It is absolutely Shape of Water. Yeah. Um, I this week I've been uh, kind of um, uh, loading up on the Oscar noms, trying to to get them all in. Missed a couple, so uh, so the verdict is still out on uh, on three billboards because I haven't seen it yet, and I hear it's wonderful from people I trust. Uh, but of the ones that I've seen, uh, and I saw this last night, mind boggling. Wonderful, illuminating, complicated, and uh, just lovely. I have no idea the name of the the woman who who played the lead in that thing. But Sally Hawkins, who I personally hope will win. Oh my uh, goodness, the best she really, actor. She really uh, deserves that. Yeah. mind blowing performance. Yeah. You know, you I do the way she gets kind of she gets sensuality out of that role, yes. and sexuality out of that role. Yes. Which uh, you know, Sally Hawkins has been memorable in a whole bunch of movies. Probably Happy Go Lucky the most. Yeah. Although I don't see those Paddington Bear movies, which apparently people really <laughs> like a lot. But to to have her be as sensual and sexual as she is in this. This is one of the things that I really loved about it. Um, Irene, uh, I already know who you want to have win Best Actor. Uh, any other... Well, I, I would also say that it's just such a great lineup of movies this year, you know, that we don't have... You know, every single one of them seems like it has a lot to speak for it. I haven't seen them all, but I actually... I loved Call Me By Your Name, and I thought that... I wish it had more... Um, uh, nominations because I thought it was a really beautiful movie, especially in the trilogy that it's in with the other two. I am love and a bigger splash, and then this one, and and the trilogy is called Desire, and it really is about desire in such a very very beautiful and beautifully directed way. Um, so so that was one that I felt like I would want to hear, and it is one of the best pictures. But I just love that there's so many rich rich movies for us yeah. all to go see right now. Yeah, I would agree that you, most years. You know, there have been years where there was like maybe only one movie that I was really comfortable with winning Best Picture, and it was the movie least likely to win Best Picture. The year of Tree of Life uh, is the one that sort of jumps into my mind. Well, one of the reasons for that, I think, is how the industry was changed by the upheavals that mm -hmm. took place in mm -hmm. the past three or four years. It's opened the doors for people to finance things like I can't conceive that financers would have would have backed uh, the shape of water, oh, no water three years ago. Yeah, I mean they 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 would just have said, well, we're not into making horror films or mm. something like that. Mm -hmm. They would have just dismissed it. And I think the or atmosphere is different. To be such a big hit yeah. that it was. Yeah. I, yeah, I'll be annoyed if the post wins Best Picture. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, um, I'd be I can live I can live pretty happily with any of the other eight choices. All right, we should take a little break and get back and have some time to endorse some stuff for you.
If the makers of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri want to win Best Picture, they're going to have to get more creative with their billboard placement. Today's show was produced by Daniel Daypants and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish loves The Shape of Water. The part of Bill Curry was played by Christopher Plummer. We'll be back on Monday with news from over the weekend on The Scramble. And now, back to Colin. All right, time for us to find some things to recommend to you. Irene Papoulis, let's start with you. Daniel Day Pants, that's funny. Um, I, um, I'm going to recommend something that doesn't really need a recommendation, but it's um, Fire and Fury. I'm reading it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to want I was going to like it. I didn't think I wanted to read it. I think, thought I knew everything about it, but I'm finding it to be, I, I'm almost done with it now. It's just very, very, very engaging, especially for people who know a lot already about what's going on with Trump and Jared and everything. I wouldn't want that to be your only way in, but it's 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 really a very interesting read as far as I'm concerned. That's really a great point, too, because sometimes when you like, you know, something gets excerpted and then talked about and stuff like this, you feel like you've read it. But you're saying there's plenty yes, more. There's plenty more. There's more where that came from. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rich, what have you got? So I've got a couple. Um, first, uh, I misspoke about the name of the movie. It's called The Ballad of Jack and Rose. And just find it and see it. It's gorgeous and it's lovely and it's super, super intimate. It's small story of a father and daughter who are on this island in uh, in the East Coast of – and it's just beautiful. Just go see it. And uh, I've been watching uh, this thing on Netflix that blew my mind. I finally really started to like the Britons, the British again. It's um, it's called The the, – Wow, what is it called? The end of the F asterisk asterisk asterisking world, Mm -hmm. Um, and it is one of the most beautifully performed and quirky pieces that that I've seen in a long time. Highly, highly recommended. Just quickly, what is it? Can just say what it's about for thirty seconds. Oh, um, it's about uh, these two young kids. uh, They're like high school age kids. He's um, this sort of aloof, somewhat well, I guess it's not somewhat psychopathic because a sociopathic because his whole desire is that he wants to experience what it's like to kill somebody. And he runs into this girl in in a cafeteria who is massively antisocial uh, and says some kind of harsh things about his skateboarding. And he's decided that she's the one that he's going to kill. And we are watching them develop this relationship, you know, this very beautiful, loving relationship while he sorts out how he's going to kill her. Right. Um, wow. <laughs> and it's just brilliant, really? brilliantly performed. The most, one of the most truly tender things that I've seen in a long time. All right. Wow. Well, you got at least two of us to watch at least one episode, I think. All right. <laughs> uh, go ahead, James. Well, uh, some reassurance and some not so much. Uh, I've been reading uh, Oliver Sacks' last book, uh, River of Consciousness, which is a really fascinating um, reflection on psychological and physical awareness. Um, in, in, the ca- in his case, a sense of coming to the end of his life, but full of great insights and a very unsettling book. Um, to contrast to it is How Democracies Die by two Harvard professors, which is really fascinating reading in terms of current affairs about the nature of democracies that as they are portrayed and how the population that is the democracy understands them. Very insightful book, kind of disturbing. It makes you, though, feel that your individual action, getting up and doing something is really 
really important. Um, and lastly, um, Ruben Oslin's film, The Square, is showing at Cine Studio from uh, Sunday through Wednesday. Um, it's a really off-the-wall thing about artistic pretense, really, um, and very well-made, very very, uh, very unexpected. And very, I think one of the best foreign films nominees. Too, that's right. Think, yeah. It is, yes. Yeah. So that's where I want to begin and just in general say as you go around wanting to catch up on some of the movies that you didn't see or you know check off some boxes for the Academy Awards, just to be aware of places like Trinity Cine Studio where, in fact, if you just sort of see everything that James has got on the schedule, you'll, you're going to see uh, a lot of those nominees and some stuff like uh, 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 Faces and Places or Florida Project, things that were those, – those are coming on now, but things that were a lot of critics' best uh, picture lists. So there, Real Artways, uh, which right now has I think, the Obama documentary, The Final Year is opening there uh, now. And I went out to Bantam Cinemas in Litchfield to see Phantom Thread, which is you know very small. Uh, movie. I get there early because I sat in the front, the very front row. Uh, and uh, but anyway, it's beautiful, independent theater and a very lovely setting and all this kind of stuff. And and this is sort of the big surprise: the the, the Parkade Cinemas at the Manchester Parkades. The Manchester Parkade is like one of those malls that's kind of like or mall complexes that is you know a lot of places just kind of just crumbling into ruins or something. I mean, it's the kind of mall complex that isn't really destined to survive the modern age of commerce, except that they're doing some very interesting things out there. And they've done a great job refashioning this movie theater. And, and at least one of the screening rooms has those sort of big armchair type comfortable seats, you know, where, where you can put your feet up and stuff like that. And the, the popcorn does not violate your brain, brain blood barrier. And uh, there's a guy in a kind of frock coat who's there to kind of greet you and you know, like a ringmaster or something. And so it's just kind of a funky little weird, nice little movie theater. It's a multiplex, but um, I think it's pretty independent. I don't know. You may, you may, you may know, James. Yeah, it is independent, seems, yes. A bunch of people just kind of doing this independently. So support some of these independent, non-chain theaters. We might as well mention Madison while we're at it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And uh, where you know, Mr. Gorlick is doing uh, a lot of the same kinds of stuff. So, so go see, go go to those things. Those are really good things. I should say that um, AIDS Connecticut Oscar Night is uh, happening this year on Oscar Night. And some of us who are on the nose, many people from the nose are usually there. It benefits uh, AIDS Connecticut. Uh, it's pretty easy to find. Uh, I don't happen to off the top of my head know the website you go to, but order your tickets soon. It's a great glittering night of glamour and fun. Thanks so much to this great panel, Rich Holland, James Hanley, and Irene Papoulis. We didn't even have a Papoulian through line today. At least we didn't state one. Uh, but anyway, we'll be back on Monday. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, all the berries. Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.